Like many of you, my love of animals preceded my choice to adopt a plant-based diet. I remember my very first meeting with my financial advisor when I was a first-year associate at the law firm. When he asked me what my ultimate goal was in my life, I told him, well, I want to open a sanctuary for abused animals. In retrospect, it was weird and emotionally uncomfortable harboring such a love of animals together with a love of eating them. But I did what I could in my own small way, and part of that meant adopting a dog, not buying one. That is the story of how I met Rudy Lee, a Bichon Poodle from Texas. And this is the Korean Vegan Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more purposeful and empowered life. Welcome back, everyone. This is Joanne Molinaro, your humble host of this episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. Many of us have suffered through what can only be described as a tough week. And though we may not be directly connected to the events of Uvalde, Texas, as humans, it's nearly impossible to remain unaffected by something as wantonly tragic as the needless death of so many little ones. If you're in the United States, you may also be grappling with understandable rage and despair as mass shootings, including school shootings, seem to occur on a daily basis. I debated whether I should write about the state of gun laws in the United States, but the truth is all the things I could say have already been said many times over. Accordingly, instead of talking about this subject any further, I will defer to two things here. I did a short video on the state of Second Amendment law. I'll include a link to that in the show notes below and this excellent newsletter by David Epstein on how to talk about gun control. Again, link to that in the show notes below. This week, I decided to use the space in your audio files to bring you some feel-good stories, starting with one of my own, followed by those of many others. And is there anything more feel-good than a good boy? And for those of you who are not hip to the TikTok lingo, boy is spelled B-O-I instead of B-O-Y. Don't ask me why. So this is the story of Rudy Lee a.k.a. Rudels, the rescued Bichon Poodle I adopted in 2013. And just a heads up, I am going to encourage you to take a look at the show notes because there are so many adorable, like absolutely irresistible photographs in there. You're not going to want to miss them. I adopted Rudy shortly after I separated from my ex-husband. I left Wheeling, Illinois with all my books, a piano, and most importantly, my very best friend, Daisy. I've written a lot about Daisy in the past, who passed away in July 2017 from heart failure. Daisy had lived her whole life with at least one other dog, and when I moved into my small condo in the city, I grew worried that she would get lonely at home while I worked very long hours at the office. I was actually on the cusp of making partner at that time, so yeah, extremely long hours. Daisy was herself a Bichon poodle, and the poodle in her made her a bit of a snob. While she wasn't ever aggressive with other dogs, she was never overly friendly either. 
but I did notice that she showed the most interest in dogs that looked like her. I therefore posted on Facebook asking if anyone knew of any Bichon poodles up for adoption in the Chicago area. Now, at that time, I wasn't vegan, but like many of you, my love of animals preceded my choice to adopt a plant-based diet. I remember my very first meeting with my financial advisor when I was a first-year associate at the law firm. When he asked me what my ultimate goal was in my life, I told him, I want to open a sanctuary for abused animals. In retrospect, it was weird and emotionally uncomfortable harboring such a love of animals together with a love of eating them. But I did what I could in my own small way. And part of that meant adopting a dog, not buying one. Now, I'd fallen for designer puppies in the past and plunked over nearly a thousand bucks for one. My billy boy was a beautiful and rare black puggle. And don't get me wrong, a person can love a purchased pet as much as an adopted one. But over three million dogs a year enter animal shelters in the United States alone. More than 390,000 of them end up getting euthanized because no one will care for them. In light of these statistics, it seemed obscene that more and more dogs were being bred so that some influencer could complete her outfit with a puppy while buying her next Chanel bag, only to return the dog when it was no longer socially expedient or cute. I no longer wanted to incentivize the euthanization of dogs, and therefore, I chose to adopt. Was I a perfect animal lover at the time? No. Am I one today? No. But we do what we can until we can do more. As luck would have it, I received a reply almost instantly to my Facebook post, the magic of social media, with a link to One Tail at a Time, a rescue organization based in Chicago. I'll call it OTAT. Now, OTAT does not have a brick and mortar location. Rather, it is a network of foster families who take in rescued dogs from all over the country until they are placed in an appropriate and permanent home. OTAT showed a picture of a dog named Kiwi, a small Bichon poodle. I applied immediately. And within days, the rescued Bichon poodle called Kiwi was introduced to my daisy. There's actually a fantastic little video of their very first meeting in the show notes. 24 hours later, Rudy joined our family on the 22nd floor of the Bernadine. Rudy came to me after an unknown amount of time outdoors. He was picked up off the streets of Texas in June 2013. Do you know how hot it gets in Texas in June? The average temperature is 91 degrees Fahrenheit. The first thing I noticed about him was that his skin was almost entirely black. I could hardly see any pink on his small frame. Unlike the thick, woolly coat that Daisy enjoyed, Rudy's fur was sparse and patchy, scraggly around his face and thinning towards his rear. His ribs were poking out, his teeth were covered in tartar, and the fur around his paws was a burnt orange. Although Otat estimated him to be around six years old, he wasn't neutered. He had a terrible cough that racked his entire body every few minutes. 
The first thing we did was switch out the name Kiwi for Rudy. My brother, who, along with his wife, was living with me at the time, was deathly allergic to kiwis. We figured keeping the name, however convenient, might be a bad omen for the start of our little family. And for those of you who didn't guess, Rudy is named after the one, the only, Rudy Rudiger. We then took him to the vet, began sorting out his innumerable health issues, followed by a visit to the groomer. He came home looking like a brand new dog, but we would soon discover that being abandoned and left to fend for oneself on the streets of Texas brings with it a host of other maladies. We learned within hours that Rudy could not abide being approached from the rear, and I have the scars on my hand to prove it. He had to pee on everything, the piano, the fridge, my briefcase, the grocery bags. No amount of crate training and positive reinforcement could rid him of this compulsion. Although he adored Daisy almost instantly, a sentiment which was sadly not reciprocated, he seemed to hate Every dog he saw when on a leash, which was really stressful since we lived in a very dog-friendly building with only one set of elevators. A woman once threatened to call the police on us when Rudy got aggressive with her standard size poodle, about four times his size, outside our front door. We eventually got a handle on the things we could fix and taped up those things we couldn't. Belly bands for the win. And despite the bouts of leash rage and hacking coughs, little Rudy's personality bulldozed its way straight into everyone's heart. I call him my little minx, even though he's the wrong gender. I honestly think the word is a little sexist because of how he literally wheedles his way between your hands. So you have no choice but to pet him. In addition to being hopelessly disobedient, Rudy is uproariously funny and charmingly mischievous. And he was always kind and generous with Daisy, who was not as kind and generous with him. He knew how much Daisy meant to me and didn't begrudge her the top spot in my heart. And for that, I remain so humbly grateful to my little minx. Perhaps the most rewarding and somewhat surprising development was how my Rudy took to Anthony and vice versa. Anthony came on the scene about a year after I adopted Rudy, and as you can imagine, I was a little anxious about how Anthony would take to my dogs, particularly the one who enjoyed peeing indiscriminately on briefcases and pianos. My anxiety was exacerbated by the fact that Anthony is just shy of being a germaphobe and didn't really seem to like dogs. He'd never had one before, even as a kid, and I got the distinct, I don't see what all the fuss is about impression when it came to his view of our four-legged friends. But wouldn't you know it, after a few months, my little minx crept right into Anthony's once paw-free heart and, as he is so good at doing, left a mark. I knew this to be true when Rudy began having trouble walking on his hind legs. Initially, I thought he'd slept on them wrong and was simply going through what I do every time I sit cross-legged on the couch while reading a book. But he whined and cried as he tried to pull himself around on just his front legs, and I knew that something wasn't right. We rushed him to the vet, and there, while we waited in the lobby, Anthony held him close to his face, stroking the top of his head. I'd never seen him so tender with any living thing in my entire life. Fortunately, after a battery of tests, Rudy was sent home with a clean bill of health, and sure enough, he started running around the house like we'd dreamt up the whole episode. How many of you have been through this? It would be years later before Rudy's legs would begin chronically failing him, and we discovered he had arthritis. 
really bad arthritis and thus began a regiment of pills, CBD chews, painkillers, and foot massages. Every once in a while, I still call Rudy my dog, but Anthony is quick to correct me. Our dog, babe, our dog. And now sometimes I think I do it on purpose because with the correction comes this burst of joy in my stomach, knowing that Rudels now enjoys the breath and combined power of two hearts, not just one. My daisy girl died unexpectedly. Though she had had heart disease for about two years, she was on medication that had, in my view, given her a new lease on life. In retrospect, I should have known that even new leases are impermanent. About a year before she died, my mother and I decided that it would be in Daisy's best interests to stay in my mother's care and home, a spacious townhouse in the suburbs with a lawn and plenty of sunlight, as opposed to my tiny little condo in the city. Daisy passed away in my mother's arms a few hours before I could get there. It remains one of the biggest regrets of my life. As a result, when Anthony and I considered moving to California, there was zero chance I wouldn't take Rudy with me. I also knew a home, one with a real lawn and a backyard, and the warmer weather that California promised would be better for Rudy's arthritis. By now, Rudy is almost completely deaf. His vision is clouded by cataracts, and his arthritis is so painful he has trouble bending over to eat his food. So while everyone around me guessed I was stressed out about packing all my stuff and moving across the country, in all honesty, I was obsessed with finding the most comfortable way of relocating Rudy. I spent hours and hours on the internet trying to find the most pet-friendly airline. They're all not great options. I purchased about 17 different airline-approved dog carriers, most of which were too small for my long-legged poodle mix. In the end, I figured the worst that could happen would be that we'd have to drive all the way to LA if we were turned away at the airport. Luckily, we got past security and the gate agent with no problems and the flight was quite uneventful. The most exciting portion of our 4.8 hour ride from ORD to LAX was the six minutes during which Rudy and I shared a dinner roll before he promptly went back to sleep. The elation, the out and out relief when we finally landed in Los Angeles was indescribable. The following day, I took Rudy out on a walk right around our hotel. We lived out of hotels for about a week before our house was ready for move-in. He sniffed all the things, and it was one of the most surreal moments of my life. Rudy had traveled across the country with me, all the way to California. As I wrote about on my Instagram a few days ago, I'll include a link to that in my show notes. When I think about all the rudiosyncrasies <laughs> that we've built our life around, I can't help but consider why he developed them in the first place. Why he feels the need to say, hey, this is mine on everything in our house. Why he hates it when strangers come up from behind him. Why he still goes after any trash can within his reach when he thinks no one is looking. Why he hates staying out in the sun or the feel of overly warm water. Why he turns his nose at gourmet food prepared especially for him by a New York Times bestselling cookbook author, but goes freaking bananas for a grubby piece of carrot that fell on the floor the day before. It makes me angry and profoundly sad knowing that somehow my Rudy had to spend a good chunk of his life totally and utterly alone in a world that is unimaginably hostile to animals without a guardian. 
And that's what I think of myself as, a guardian. I call myself Rudy's mom and Anthony Rudy's dad, but in truth, Rudy is a refugee. We have created a world that overbreeds dogs for profit while doing not nearly enough to regulate their care. The unconscionable imbalance between our unwillingness to share this planet peaceably with dogs and any other animal and the number of dogs we create has, in my mind, generated a responsibility to provide a haven for these animals, the ones we have used and abused for our exclusive purpose. It is thus truly my honor to be able to tell Rudy every day, you will never have to eat out of a trash can ever again. You will never have to fight for your food ever again. You will never have to sleep outside ever again. You will never have to cross a street without someone to guide you ever again. You will never have to wake up alone ever again. And most importantly, I will be right here with you when it's time for you to join Daisy. Instead of viewing Rudy as man's best friend, I want to spend the rest of his life being his. So that was my feel-good story of the week. Here are a couple of other stories that I found to be particularly heartwarming from some of my followers. I adopted my Roscoe and added him to my little pack about four months ago. He came to my home as a foster dog at first. He was heartworm positive, emaciated, covered in flea bite scars, and had an intestinal parasite. He had bad resource guarding and peed in the house, that sounds familiar, and didn't know how to play with my other dog. How would he? He spent his life on a chain. However, he looked into my eyes and those eyes said, please keep me. So I did. He's rolling around at my feet right now with the biggest smile, just loving life and getting better every day. He's heartworm free, parasite free, and at a healthy weight. He has his challenges from the life he lived. He's bitten me twice over resource guarding, but with consistent training and love and understanding, everything is getting better. I'm committed to seeing him through. RiverTube. Thanks for sharing, RiverTube. I adopted a scrawny chihuahua mix from a local shelter in 2014. My roommate saw him on a news story featuring dogs available at the shelter. She was insistent that I go check on adopting him as a companion for the chihuahua I already had. I adopted him. My chihuahua liked him and wanted him nearby most of the time, except when it was time for treats, of course. <laughs> I understand that too. My chihuahua died in 2016 and it was me and my new chihuahua mix. He died suddenly in my arms one night five years later in 2021. He'd given me six years of joy, love, laughter, and wonderful memories. I hope he knew how much he was loved. He rescued me more than once because when I was at my low points, I could see the love in his eyes and know there was at least one reason to keep going. Paula Richard. Thank you so much, Paula, for sharing that. I have to admit, I got a little choked up there. I know he knew how grateful you were to him. If you're thinking of welcoming an animal into your hearts and home, I encourage you to try 
adopting a rescued animal in lieu of purchasing one. I'll also include in the show notes links to some of my favorite feel-good videos from TikTok and Instagram this week. A lot of them are going to make you laugh. Some of them will make you cry. All right, so each week I invite listeners to submit a question about life, about love, about going vegan, just about anything. And today we're gonna tackle a fairly straightforward one. What kind of knives do you use in cooking and chopping? They are in the shape of a cleaver. Your style of cooking and sharing stories is exactly how I do psychotherapy for the past 30 years. Cooking is a hugely important healing modality that is an excellent assistant along with storytelling to process trauma and pain. V. Well, V, thank you so much for the very kind words. And I am so glad that you agree that cooking can be profoundly therapeutic and healing, even though there are knives involved, as you note. In answer to your question, I'm not overly fussy with my knives. As you know, I'm not a professionally trained chef. I am a home cook that learned everything she knows from Rachel Ray on the Food Network and Mang Chi from YouTube. So uh, when it comes to purchasing knives, I'm not going to look for the really, really expensive ones. I try to find um, the ones that are decent, reliable, reasonably priced, and then just take really, really good care of them. I sharpen them regularly. I don't put them in the dishwasher and I make sure to wash them as soon as I'm finished using them. In the show notes below, I'll include links to my three favorite knives, my everyday workhorse knife, my I'm feeling aggressive cleaver and my miniature cleaver. Thanks for asking this question and giving me an excuse to share this. I get this question all the time and I've been meaning to share the answer for some time. If you have a question, whether it's about cooking or a plant-based diet or life and love, as we've discussed in the past, you can submit a question by hitting the link in the show notes below. Parting thoughts. The other day, we were driving back from the nearest Korean grocery store. We exited the parking lot and merged onto the street when a small white car sped around us, cut us off, all while blaring its angry little horn. A few seconds later, the driver did the exact same thing to another car. The whole encounter took like all of seven seconds, but it left a bad taste in my mouth. This idiot was disrupting a road of otherwise peaceful, law-abiding drivers who were enjoying a sunny Friday afternoon. It occurred to me that this driver is a lot like all the little trolls in our lives who threaten to leave more than a bad taste in our mouths. They trick us into believing that the whole world is made up of bad drivers, people who don't care about the safety of those on the road with them. Over the past three years, we've all had our fair share of anecdotes or even direct encounters with those who can't be bothered to undertake even the smallest measures to help mitigate some of the risks we face during a global pandemic. Even beyond basic health and safety though, it's easy to believe that the world is drowning in cruelty when so much of the news is dominated by those who do harm. It's unfortunate, but the trolls of the world often get the most attention because they are all too eager to use their horn. But I like to believe that life is much more like that road we were driving on, made up of mostly thoughtful but regular Joes, drivers who are occupied with getting to their destination, yes, 
but also keeping an eye on the rear view mirror to make sure they're not getting in the way of anyone else. Whether on the road or in life, it's important to lower the window and smile or wave at the person next to you, if only to remind them that we exist. We the people who believe in compassion, in doing the right thing, in helping our neighbor, in turning the other cheek, and standing up for the weak. We exist. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or podcast, please be sure to leave a rating below as well as a comment if you like. And of course, if you are so inclined, please share this episode or your favorite Korean vegan episode with your friends, your family, your colleagues, or anyone else you think might be inspired by what we chatted about today. Until next week, have a wonderful day and beautiful day.